Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Let's pray together as we stand. In our joys and in our sorrows, days of toil and hours of ease, still he calls us in cares and pleasures. Christian, love me more than these. Father God, we do indeed pray that... uh, as we hear you speak to us this morning by your spirit and through your word, that you would indeed fix in our hearts the preciousness of Jesus and his ministry to us, uh, such that uh, this week and all that will follow, uh, he will indeed be more precious than anything else in our lives. Uh, We pray this for his glory's sake. Amen. Uh, Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Uh, which was page 1030 of the Church Bibles as we begin a new series in these early chapters of Luke, looking at the ministry of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 4, page 1030. This series uh, from the Gospel according to Luke is all about seeing together just how precious Jesus is to us. Uh, it is about uh, a series about being a church family who enjoy with increasing satisfaction, the ministry of Jesus Christ amongst us each time we gather and throughout the week. Now, he who was announced at his birth in Luke's Gospel as the King, as the Son of the Most High, he who owns everything, including your life and breath, uh, he is the one whose ambition is to serve us and to meet us again and again at our greatest points of need. And so let me ask you, uh, Christians, Here this morning, do you remember the moment he first served you? Uh, When by the Spirit and through the Word of God you saw Jesus for who he really is, your God, uh, the one who made you and loves you, uh, the one born among us as a saviour but born to die, uh, born to take your burden of sin off you forever, born to take it onto himself, serving you on the cross uh, such that you find yourself forgiven. How precious his ministry was to us the day we first believed, the day we first came to him and he took our sins away. Uh, But what we're going to see in Luke's gospel in these early chapters is it's not just a a past event, this ministry of Jesus to us, but it is very much a present need. The gospel according to Luke will show us how precious his ministry remains to us. This series is designed to plant in each one of us an impulse for each and every day to come to him again and again that he may serve us. And let me say, if this morning you're here and you're not a Christian, that is, you've never come to Jesus out of need, you may read Luke's Gospel and say, I have no need or desire to be served by Jesus. Perhaps you're here this morning as a self-sufficient person and no need to be served by anyone. Or perhaps no confidence that this man in a dusty Jewish town can meet your needs. Or hear the claim of Luke's Gospel in chapter 2, verse 10. News of Jesus' arrival, of his ministry amongst us, is good news of great joy for all people. This Gospel invites you and everyone to believe the news that he is your saviour too. And so let's together see the ministry of Jesus. And as we begin, we must be clear who it is that is serving us. Uh, Have a look at Luke chapter 3, verse 38. You will see how he is described. Jesus, he is the Son of God, uh, declared so by his Father uh, in heaven. 
You see that in chapter 3, verse 22, he says, You are my son. Now, the one who serves us is the very son of God, the one who was there from the basement of time, the son of God declared by the scriptures as the one by whom all things were created. By him and for him they were created, and in him all things hold together. Jesus, who ministers to us, is the son of God. The son, uh, we're told in chapter 3, verse 22, the son the father loves, with whom he is well pleased. You see what happens here at the start of Jesus' ministry, uh, as he is baptised in chapter 3, verse 22, God the father sees the ministry of his son beginning on earth, and he says, yes. And the spirit, uh, the spirit of God who is present there too, says, yes, for this is their plan. Formed at the basement of time, formed before creation, before you were born, before your life began to take its course, God planned to send his son, whom he loves, to serve you. And see, this is also, uh, see also this about him. Not only is he God amongst us, God with us even, but he is also one of us. Have a look again at chapter 3, verse 38, where we saw that he was the son of God. He is also described there as the son of Adam. He's a man. He's a human like you and me. He lived and breathed as you do. He hungered, as we see in chapter 4, verse 2, as you do. He is a man with a family. As he begins his ministry, he did so as, we're told, the son of Joseph. And in chapter 3, verse 24 to 27, you see something of his family line. The one who ministers to you is God with you, yes, and how precious that is. But he is also your brother. He is one just like you and how precious that is. And as his ministry begins, we'll see that no step he takes is accidental. Father, Son and Spirit work together in this ministry. Have a look at the start of our passage, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. It's a seemingly uh, inauspicious start to his ministry, this glorious ministry that's supposed to be global. There's no crowds. There's no uh, glorious media launch, no uh, backdrop there for him, no resources, just Jesus. For some 40 days in the desert with an adversary, we're told here it is the devil. Uh, 40 days the devil has been at it, tempting him, testing him. Well, we've seen who Jesus is. What of this uh, other player in our scene, the devil? Another name, uh, perhaps his most common name he's given in the scriptures, tells us who he is. He's the Satan, uh, which means the adversary, the accuser, the liar. Uh, often uh, when uh, in popular culture the devil is pictured, it's a man in uh, red tights with a pitchfork, but he's more boring and more powerful than that. Uh, the devil is no friend of God. Or friend of you, for you are a creature God loves. And his ambition is always the same. His ambition is to derail the plan of God, the plan that God has always had, which is to bring life and blessing to us, and that through the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so here we see the one who opposes Jesus' ministry ever reaching us. It's not new. He's always been about this. the attack of the very first man as uh, given to us and described to us in the Bible, the attack in Genesis chapter 3 of Adam as he endured the devil tempting him and as he failed that temptation, a failure that cut him off from God's life and blessing, a failure that led to death. 
And it is his ambition, the devil's ambition, that he has for every son of Adam, that is, every man and woman that has followed the first Adam. It is his ambition for you today. Later in Luke's Gospel, we'll be told in Luke 8 that his ambition on a morning like this, as we hear the word of God together, is to snatch it from us before it ever blesses us. In 1 Peter 5 verse 8, we're told he prowls around looking to devour us. And in 2 Corinthians 4, we're told his uh, great plan is to blind our eyes to just how gloriously good Jesus is. But here at the start of Jesus' ministry, the battle is simple and direct between Jesus, the one who fights for us, and the devil. Jesus, we're told, as I said in verse 1 of chapter 4, is led straight into the path of the enemy. This is very deliberate. The Spirit leads him there. This is where his ministry must begin. And as we join the battle, uh, we join it in uh, day 40 of the battle. Uh, By this stage, we're told in verse 2 of chapter 4, Jesus is desperately hungry at the edge of human endurance. Now is the time for the devil to strike. Now, the devil will tempt him three times in our passage, uh, tempting him away from the ministry that he's just begun. Well, let's have a look at these temptations and we'll spend uh, most of our time in the first one. Uh, You see it there in verse 3, the temptation of provision. The devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, then tell this stone to become bread. Uh, In one simple challenge, the devil has uh, hit Jesus on three different fronts. Firstly, tempting him to doubt the word of his father. Do you see what he says? If you are the son of God, emphasis on if, uh, allegedly you're God's son. The truth is, uh, just back in chapter 3, the father has declared the truth of that. You are my son whom I love. But the devil loves to niggle at the truth. And secondly, he's trying to cause him to forsake his humanity and by his divine nature command the stone to become bread. This challenge is well within Jesus' grasp. Of course he can do it. He will later in his ministry feed 5,000 with a miraculous provision of loaves. Now the devil is saying, uh, wouldn't this plan, this ministry, this uh, plan that you and your father have, wouldn't it be so much easier without this human business? Uh, But Jesus knows he cannot serve us unless he is one of us. It is, as we read in Hebrews chapter 2, since we have flesh and blood, he too shared in our humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. And thirdly, he's trying to tempt the man, Jesus, in the same way he does us. In verse 2, we're told Jesus is hungry. Not a surprise after 40 days, is it? Bread is an obvious need. It's not a gratuitous need. Of course he needs bread. And the devil is saying to him, if you are God's son, and that's what he said of you, the one he loves, how could he not want you to have bread at a time like this? Wouldn't a good God, a loving God, a loving father, wouldn't he want you to have bread? It's a temptation to dissatisfaction, to impatience, to doubt the father's goodness. Jesus here in the desert is quite deliberately experiencing the same temptation that God's people had before him. God's people, Israel in the Old Testament, experienced their own desert wanderings for some 40 years. In the Exodus, having been rescued from Egypt, they wandered in the desert and time and time again were tempted to doubt God's good provision. Even though he had promised to be with them, even though he had said he would provide their every need, time and time again they grew dissatisfied, impatient. Whatever he gave wasn't enough. His promise wasn't good enough. 
He walks the same path of temptation. And Jesus is not just doing it for Israel, he is doing it for every son of Adam, right from the very first Adam, the very first human in the Garden of Eden. As the devil said to the man and the woman, why why would God not let you eat from the fruit of that one tree? Surely if he loved you, he'd let you. Maybe he's not as committed to your good as you are. It's a temptation that every son and daughter of Adam feels. Are there not times when we're tempted towards dissatisfaction with what God has given us or perhaps what he hasn't given us? We see something that to us is an obvious provision that he's not given and we grow to doubt his goodness. It can happen on so many fronts. In the workplace, a longing, if we are unemployed, a longing for employment. Why would he not give me that if he is a good God? Or a change in job or a work circumstance. Of course he should provide it if I really am his child whom he loves. Or health. Uh, We long for the removal of a persistent illness or perhaps the persistent strain of caring for a loved one who is ill. Why would he not give me that? Or even something as simple as material well-being. uh, Longing for the day when we no longer have to worry about meeting the bills. Or perhaps just the disappointment of seeing others, uh, perhaps in the church family or beyond, whose homes and material well-being seems far beyond yours. Why would he not give me that too? Or relationships. Uh, We long for a happy marriage. Why does it have to be so hard? Or the end of strained family relationships. Or perhaps just the provision of a relationship, no longer being lonely. In these and many other areas, we're tempted to doubt God's goodness. Have you ever been in a situation where the apparent circumstances you're in seem to point to God's distance or his disinterest in your situation? Can't he see I need this? That's Jesus here, one of us, and with the power to actually change things. He is God's son, but he refuses to, for he is one of us. And so look at his answer. Look at how he overcomes this temptation where Israel failed, where we fail. Verse 4, into the fog of uh, the devil's half-truths, Jesus speaks this clear and present word, man does not live by bread alone. He responds with the words his father spoke to Israel in the desert when they were tempted. The word that God speaks to all who are tempted to doubt his goodness. It's a word from Deuteronomy 8, a a time right near the end of Israel's desert wanderings. A a time when God called them to heed his word in the desert because it was a word that would lead them to life. And Jesus knows this, for it is the word of the father who loves him. And so he listens to his father in Deuteronomy 8 when the Spirit says, God will lead you through the desert. At times, yes, you will hunger, but he will provide what he knows you need. And beyond these simple provisions, he'll, through your hunger, teach you to know the truth of Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 that Jesus quotes here. That man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And beyond the provision of bread or whatever it might be, we have the wonderful provision of God's promise to us. It is a word of provision, a word where he says, I am your portion. A word of promise, never will I leave you or forsake you. A word of love, you are my child whom I love. Jesus knows this, for his father has spoken to him. So here in the depths of hunger and at the height of temptation, he does what Israel couldn't, what we too often don't. He trusts the word of his heavenly father. 
and it sustains him through the desert. And thank God he does, for he is doing this for you. He has come to be what we never were. He has come to be a new Adam. He has come to minister to us. Uh, This moment and everyone that follows in his ministry is for you. There are two ways he's serving you in the desert as he does this. Uh, Firstly and wonderfully, he's succeeding where we fail. Failing to trust God's word, trust his goodness and love that the God who made you is actually for you. He succeeds. Here is one just like us. Here is our man in our place succeeding where we fail and how that changes things. Uh, Listen to these wonderful words from Hebrews chapter 2. If you get nothing else from uh, our look at Luke 4 today, get these wonderful words from Hebrews. Hebrews 2.17. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers, that is us, in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might remove our sins. Here is the one whose victory over temptation to overcome overcomes our failure. God was well pleased to send his son to serve you this way. And so he says to each one of us, come to me. I will be faithful for you. Before my father, this is the very heart of our gospel. Uh, we are a community of failures. Uh, if you're brand new here this morning and you wonder who you've come amongst this morning, whether it's the super spiritual or the religious, this is who we actually are, a community of failures with only one hero, one victor, Jesus, and he is enough. He is the son of God, the son of Adam, who was tempted in every way like us but without sin, so he can take away yours. How precious is the ministry of Jesus to us and how precious It remains. For here's the other way he's serving you. Not only is his victory now your victory, he suffered so he can help you today. Here again these wonderful words from Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Or again in chapter 4, verse 15, the wonderful words, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And so we can approach the throne of his grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace and help in our time of need. He is where to go. When tempted towards dissatisfaction or to doubt God's goodness, we are not to draw again on our own resources or to distance ourselves from the God whose goodness we doubt. We're to go to him. He who is God's very best provision to us, who will always satisfy, go to him, to his throne of grace and find provision of help that we need every time. And it is where we are to take each other. If we are a church that keeps bringing each other to Jesus, we will see real and lasting change in one another. He can help us. And know this wonderful truth. Even when we fail again and again, there is always more grace at the throne of our faithful brother Jesus. How precious is the ministry of Jesus to us. Well, let's look at uh, more briefly the second and third temptation that he endures in the desert Secondly, the temptation of power from verse 5 onwards. The devil tries again. He knows that Jesus is committed to this plan, but he says, isn't there another way? This slow path that you're heading down, Jesus, isn't there a more fast track to victory? 
And verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority and all the splendor of these kingdoms, for it's been given to me, and I can give it to you. So if you worship me, all of this will be yours. Now, once again, the devil is working in lies. The scripture does indeed speak of his powerful sway on earth, but he is a shackled force. He has no power of his own, only what is given to him by the permission of God and to achieve God's purposes. And as for this offer to give Jesus authority over the nations, it's already been promised to him by his father. Psalm 2 speaks of the day when God the Father would say to Jesus, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as an inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. Jesus knows what is promised to him. And he knows how he and the Father and the Spirit have planned to win the nations. It is no fast track but by the way of the cross. And so Jesus knows the struggle ahead of him. Later, he will say to his disciples, what I am about to undertake is distressing to me. He will in the garden, uh, in the night before he dies, he will sweat what are like drops of blood in distress. He will pray to his father, Father, if there is any other way, let's do that, let's go that way. But he knows this is the way. For by his blood, he will purchase men and women for God from every nation, for himself because he intends to share this inheritance with us. Uh, But the devil pushes. Now, wouldn't you rather a crown of splendor than a crown of thorns? All this can be yours. Jesus' answer is clear and wonderful. Do you see it there, verse 8? It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And that's what he did. He set his face for Jerusalem to the cross, a a journey that is not about grasping at power but sacrifice, not about self-serving but self-denial. The path his father asked him to walk so humbly he serves and so is able to serve us. Again, he wins where we fail, where we too often choose self, not service, where we look for the path of least cost with ease and familiarity all about it. Uh, He chose sacrifice, distress and abandonment for you. And thank God he did. Now, one final temptation, the temptation of protection. The devil, we're told, takes Jesus to Jerusalem. It will be the place where their final and ultimate battle will happen at the end of the gospel at the cross. And he confronts Jesus with the temptation to obtain from his father uh, a more genuine proof of his care. He creates a situation where it seems that uh, the father would have to come to Jesus' rescue. If he threw himself off the top of the temple, uh, surely the father would come and save him from falling. The temple, after all, is the place of God's protection and presence. What better place to test that? And so the devil drives it home by taking a turn himself at Scripture. He says, Jesus, you like to quote Scripture? Let me have a go. Psalm 91, he quotes. You think he'll protect you on the cross at the end where you're heading? Why not test it now? Why not make sure? If you're so committed to trusting him, why don't you test how trustworthy he is? Again, Jesus' answer is clear and decisive. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Uh, It's a quote from Deuteronomy 6, which recounts God's people rebelling against God, doubting again his protection. Instead of going to God like fitful children, they shout out, if the Lord is actually amongst us, why doesn't he show himself? Prove yourself, God. But Jesus says, I will not force my father to act on my behalf. 
And he knows what the devil has failed to recognise, that with Jesus, as with us, God's deliverance may come through suffering and death, not protection from it. You see, when we actually read Psalm 91, we see that the devil has once again worked in half-truths, half-quotes, where he quotes uh, in verse 10 of our passage, and he will guard you carefully. He should have kept reading. Where God says, he will guard you carefully in all your ways. Now, what are these ways that he will protect us? The ways of God for his people, they are good and they lead to life. But does that mean that the path uh, that leads to life, does it mean that it will always be easy? No, says Jesus. Uh, Are all his ways sidestepping difficulty and illness and disappointment? No, says Jesus. And Jesus knows this and he knows it uh, at the end of his earthly ministry when he was hanging on that cross as the devil finally returns. His opportune time, as we see in verse 13, seeing that moment to strike again. And in the words of the crowds, he shouts out again the same challenge. If you really are the son of God, why don't you test your father? The crowd, like the devil, call for proof of God's protection of his son to make sure that he really is God's son. Throw yourself down off the cross, save yourself. But Jesus declares himself to be God's son by remaining on the cross for you. You see, the devil doesn't get it. Why don't you throw yourself down? And when he catches you, you'll know he's your heavenly father. That's the challenge. But what he failed to understand is that when the time came, the opportune time, not just for the devil, but for God, because this is his chosen time, Jesus would indeed throw himself down. Throw himself down to be born as a man, born uh, to die, die even on a cross. For it is the will of God to bruise his son to serve you. And it is only at this moment, only at this final moment, that Jesus finally does call upon his Father's protection, breathing his last cry. You remember those wonderful words? Father, into your protection, I commit my spirit. Jesus, here in the desert and at the cross, emerges victorious despite all of Satan's attempts to overturn God's plan of rescue. Where we fail, he wins. And so as we close, let me encourage you with this. These two things that we have seen from his ministry. His victory is our victory. He serves you, he serves me by going all the way to the cross. He serves you this way. It is as Hebrews 2.17 says, as we read before, for this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become for us a merciful and faithful high priest to take away our sins, all of them, forever. All the times you've caved into half-hearted, half-measures to doubt his goodness. All the times you chose ease, not cost. All the times you wondered whether he really would be there for you in the end. Jesus never did that. Never caved. Not once, for he knew his father's love. His victory is now your victory. That's grace. How precious it is. And then there's this. Even now, not just then, even now, this day, this week, he serves you. He suffered so he can help you. So you can day after day approach his throne of grace and find the help you need just in time. And Martin Luther, when asked how he battled with temptation, said this, And when the devil comes knocking at the door of my heart and asks who lives here, the dear Lord Jesus goes to the door for me and says, Oh yes, Martin Luther used to live here, but uh, he moved out some time ago. Now I live here. Can I help you? I believe we've met before. 
So, brother and sister in Christ, rejoice in his victory and rely on his help. For when you have Jesus Christ and his ministry to you, by his spirit and through his word, you have all you need. All you need for today's temptation, all you need for as yet unseen sufferings and disappointments, all you need for the path ahead. So rejoice in his victory and rely on his help. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the Son you love, uh, with whom you are well pleased. And we praise you for sending him to serve us. And we praise you for his faithfulness to you, even to death on a cross. And we praise you that his victory is now our victory. And we praise you that he is able to help us in our time of need. And so we pray that we would be a church that would come to him again and again. And we pray this for his glory. Amen.